0: learned anything
1: from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare care related fields to keep you a beat ahead.
0: Afghanistan and heroin have more in common than poppies. They are both failed costly wars. This is Dr. Marilyn Singleton and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. Mind-altering drugs tap into man's desire to avoid or lessen suffering, whether it's physical or emotional. Throughout the world, alcohol, opium, mushrooms, cocoa leaves have been used for at least 9,000 years. I mean, after all, we're born with opioid receptors. During our American Civil War, opiates were a boon to injured soldiers. Soon, morphine became an ingredient in most health tonics. Cocaine was also widely used for its ability to generate good feelings. Then, cocaine was used to cure morphine addiction. But over the late 19th and 20th centuries, drugs were seen as a scourge on society. The modern-day war on drugs started in 1971, and despite billions and billions and billions of dollars thrown at this war, we are losing. Half of American aged age 12 or over have used an illicit drug at least once. According to a 2017 Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services report, approximately 20 million adults aged 18 or older had a past-year substance use disorder. This is unbelievable. Most of it was alcohol, but many were illicit drug use. Patients and physicians alike have been demonized and turned into criminals over the use of certain medications. And, you know, over 30 years ago, physicians were told that pain was the fifth vital sign. Treat pain with any medication available. Get that pain score down to zero. Relying on pharmaceutical companies' reassurance that their new opiates were non-addicting, physicians liberally prescribed them. Then we were told patients are becoming addicted and stop those prescriptions. Pain be damned. Well, what happened? Opioid prescriptions have been nearly cut in half over the last 10 years but overdoses on illegal opioids have nearly doubled. Patients went to the streets and now are getting drugs tainted with fentanyl and accidentally overdosing. The war to keep our countrymen off of illicit drugs was another government plan that sounded like a good idea at the time. Now, the tactics of the war on drugs fits with Mike Tyson's famous saying, Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. My guest and I will discuss this endless war, its consequences and solutions to reduce harm to our citizens. Colleen Cowles is an attorney, advocate, and a mother who personally experienced addiction and chronic pain in her family. Her 15 years of research, interviews with experts, work with clients and personal experience, give Ms. Cowles practical insights into this urgently important way to minimize the pain that families are experiencing, improving outcomes for those suffering from substance use disorder and or chronic pain and advocating for reform of the criminal justice system and overall drug policy. Welcome to the show, Calling Counts. Thanks, Marilyn. It's great to be here. Well, I'm just going to start off with the obvious question. How did a tax attorney get involved with the drug war?
1: <laughs> well, it wasn't in the plan. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and thankfully, it was like 20 years ago that we went through uh, some things with, with our two sons, um, and uh, they are they are doing fine now, but it became obvious to me that what I believed I knew as an attorney, and I I, I thought that I had a pretty good handle on the basics of criminal law and and uh, on, and, and the system, and then when we became a part of it, um, I, I realized that there were some. Uh, very severe deficiencies that I could deal with, not well, but as an attorney, I had an advantage of, of uh, dealing with some things. Um, one of our sons uh, had chronic pain, uh, has an autoimmune uh, disease, um, ankylosing spondylitis, which back when he was a youngster, he he started symptoms when he was about seven years old, and he wasn't actually correctly diagnosed until he was 30. So, a lot of pain came with that, and we had him uh, not for lack of trying, but we couldn't get the diagnosis. And ultimately, as a teenager, he started self uh, self medicating, and and uh, and ultimately ended up, um, you know, within the criminal justice system. But among other things, um, it, when we saw him going downhill, and the the traditional types of treatment were not working for him. Uh, I started researching and found a physician just across the state line from us who was a, a world-renowned uh, addiction psychologist and or psychiatrist, rather. And um, uh, so we asked the probation uh, office if we could take him there for medical treatment, and we were denied. And ultimately, and I truly believe that this saved his life, um, and because I had enough background legally, I just decided that I would defy the system. Uh, we took him across the state line, we got him help. And uh, but the the thought that that we had to defy the criminal justice system to get medical help for our child was just beyond me. Um, another instance, um, he was in a treatment program, and this was one that that was the traditional route. Uh, he had entered treatment. He'd been there for three months of a pretty long program, and uh, and he was, he was doing well. Uh, the probation agent called me and said, well, he has to come back to this jurisdiction for a month, and I mean, that would have completely not only wasted money, but um, would have been very, very dangerous. Well, with some digging, again, because of the legal background, I realized that she didn't want to admit it, but she had made an error in paperwork. And so, rather than bringing him back, I literally went into her office, sat down at her desk, and corrected what she had um, um, <laughs> what she had um, made an error on, and uh, kept him in treatment. But those kinds of things continued to arise in our personal lives. So it opened the door for me, uh, as far as as realizing that there were some issues. But initially, I thought it was probably just us, and then as i was meeting with a state planning attorney or uh, with the state planning clients i started realizing that a lot of them seemed to be spending a lot of money some of them weren't talking about what was really happening but as i started questioning it became very apparent that there were a lot of parents that were literally being taken down financially trying to save their kids while they were instead of working in concert with the criminal justice system were fighting the criminal justice system just to get help for their kids. So that's where it all started.
0: Well, I tell you, when you think it's just you, that's how I felt. My sister was a, a drug addict. And I remember when my mother died, my mother always said, Now make sure you take care of her, make sure you take care of her juice, mm-hmm. my older sister. And my mother had a small amount of money when she died. And I said, I couldn't believe my sister had the wherewithal, I said, um I can give you your half, or I can keep it. And I can give you what you need. And she had the good sense to say, if you gave it to me, I'd spend it on drugs in a week. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, it, it, I tell you, and it happens to everybody. Almost, it seems like, you know, that six six degrees of separation. That's what we all are from somebody with drug issues.
1: Well, and I I end up doing a lot of estate planning for families that aren't sure what to do because they realize there's an issue if something happens to the parents and there's an an outright inheritance to a child. Uh, So I, I work with a lot of families in ways of setting things up so that there's not... Um, so the direct inheritance doesn't happen, but that child is still taken care of, um, you know, because a lot of families have either disinherited the child with a substance use disorder or are having other um, children inherit with the idea that they will help, but that can cause some, some tax and, and liability issues. And, and uh, so I, I end up doing a lot of work in that area. So the, 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 the two topics really did merge uh, professionally. Well, for sure,
0: is you know, in talking about it, I mean, we're like regular people. We don't live on Skid Row. Is is there a typical person who's arrested for drug possession? You know, there's there really is not.
1: Um, I mean, there there is. I mean, when you look at the statistics, um, there's no doubt that that there's a racist component uh, in the criminal justice system. Uh, so the 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 risk factors are heavier with minorities, but we have reached the point now where it is impacting everyone. Um, the statistics are astounding. On, uh, but, uh, the individuals under the age of 23, 42% of them have been arrested for, for something other than just a traffic violation. I mean, that's, that's traumatic. Uh, and some of those arrests lead to you know, maybe even a few days in jail, but a few days in jail can lead to a criminal university, a change of an, in identity. Uh, the the uh, the suicide rate in jails immediately upon arrest is is horrific, on um, so those those numbers are really really frightening.
0: Well, ha- have you ever seen the movie with Al Pacino? A very old movie called "And Justice for All." I don't think I have seen it. Oh, that. please rent it or stream it. It's probably too old. It wouldn't have the contractual language for streaming, <laughs> but it's would be, I, I just think you would really love seeing it. And there's a scene in there when you talk about the suicide rate of people in jail, where that happens to one of his clients who's just sort of lost in the system and, you know, he said, I, I'll, I'll die, they'll beat me up, they'll kill me, you know, and he became another statistic. So
1: I will definitely pick that up. Oh, uh, scary, the other thing that scary. really surprised me about the suicide rates is the, that the, uh, um, there's, a, there's a very high percentage of those suicides that happen before someone is charged. The suicides happen after the arrest while they're sitting waiting to be charged.
0: Oh yeah, that that's a crime of our system. Yeah. Well, so we know that so many of these are minor drug arrests. And so let's get into what you've found in the research and who you've talked to. And and I've had Dr. Molly Rutherford on the show, and she's an addiction specialist. And we've talked about this a lot. Obviously, I have a personal reason for being so interested, but Have you found that it's a health issue or some sort of choice, some sort of moral failing?
1: Well, it's an interesting question because I struggled with that a lot In the early days, because obviously when someone is sticking a needle in their arm or taking pills, it's a choice. But I completely changed my perspective on that as we learned about treatment protocols and the treatment protocols that have the greatest success rates. And that is medication. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that that's for everybody, but it's a viable uh, alternative and according to all of the government agencies the the including and also the ame and and the uh, uh I, I mean all of, it, it it's it's uh there's no question anymore that medications have the highest success rates so i started looking at that and thought about the the impact of that on our our whole punitive system, because if someone can be treated with medications and successfully get their life back, and that's essentially that that is what happens, then how can it actually be anything other than a health issue if we can treat that that you know addiction with uh, with medications? Because if that works, medications aren't removing a, a moral failing and um, so then i started thinking about the people sitting behind bars because they didn't get appropriate treatment for their substance use disorder so at this point i clearly come down on the health issue side of the of the the coin on that i think the other important statistic that i found or one that, that i found really compelling when we were making decisions as far as how much we would help our children and and uh, um and all of the different decisions that you make as a family when there's the addiction involved um the um the statistics on the number of people that actually become addicted after they have tried a drug um it's 10 to 20 percent so i think that going into it i assume that anybody who tried heroin would immediately be addicted and 100% would be. Uh, I was at a, a parents group um, a few years back and the liaison uh, for the local police department was doing a presentation for parents. And he stood up and said, you know, if your child is taking meth, there really is no hope other than maybe really long-term prison. But even then there's, there's really no hope. And I saw the the faces of those parents and um, I, I don't think that that officer was, uh, you know, the, the intentions were good. And I'm sure that he was seeing on a daily basis the the impact on families and the horrific things that happened when people were on meth. But the reality is that 80% of people who try it are not going to be addicted. So if that's the case, then are we punishing the 20% that end up addicted um because unless somebody never tries any type of drug at all they are at risk but most of them don't end up down that path um but then it's easy for you know those of us who are in the 80 percent that don't end up developing addictions to think well I could just say no. Why can't you? So we have this judgment going back and forth. But the, the 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 brain and the experience levels and many different factors make those twenty the ten to twenty percent, um, you know, and end up addicted, whereas the um, uh, the others don't. So. Just all in all, I think that that uh, we've all the other things we've tried the punitive approach and and uh, that clearly is is looking at addiction as a choice. And that's been a, a, a huge failure. So I love the the Mike Tyson quote um, in, in in your opening. Um, so it's it's time to try something different. And all of the science and the medicine that we're looking at now clearly comes down on on the uh, um, on the side of of addiction being a, a treatable health issue, which is good news. You know, because it, it really gives hope as to um, to what we can do. Unfortunately, most of those. Um, most of the uh, the proven scientific medical methods of of uh, treating addiction aren't not only aren't aren't promoted, but they aren't even allowed uh, in a lot of uh, treatment centers and in criminal justice uh, settings. So,
0: well, and that's just a sin if a person is using some medication. Think of it. If it was their high blood pressure medicine, are you gonna not let them take that And when they're in jail? Well, we'll talk about incarceration and, and, and some of the negative aspects of the current drug policy uh, in this next section after the break. So I can't wait to talk about that. World-class care from doctors you can
1: trust Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Co-fix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again cofixrx.com that's c-o-f-i-x-r-x dot com use coupon code out loud and get 20%
0: off back to the show so we were talking about uh, jail suicide in jail not getting medications what is the story with incarceration what are What are kind of the sentences? And and we've heard about sentencing guidelines. I thought when they came out, they were supposed to reduce bias in sentencing. And has the First Step Act changed any of this? Can you talk about that aspect? It's hard to
1: answer that question, Marilyn, because the variety in how these things are handled are... (laughs) grand canyon size on the 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 whole um punitive aspect of the the war on drugs is like going to las vegas because it depends on not only what state you're in but what county you happen to be in and how they happen to decide to to handle it i mean we go from everything from uh uh, any drug possession being a misdemeanor, which is a fact on uh, the the case on the federal level by the way um, to um, uh, to felony convictions for very, very small amounts of uh, um, of, of any uh, controlled substance. Uh, so it's 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 really, really difficult to to make any um, um, any judgments on that uh, And it's it's also difficult to know you know, really what to tell parents on um, as far as, as how to deal with it because so much of it varies. And I think we are in a state of flux. I mean, I think that, that there is a recognition at this point that what we're doing isn't working. Um, but we I, I'm still astounded at the the treatment, um, you know, not only on, you know, we 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 talked a little bit about um uh, the medications for for treating uh addiction uh being denied to to people uh behind bars um but there are people that um i, I spoke with a, a mother pretty recently whose son uh was um uh, was charged uh he was gonna be on probation but because of backlogs he he didn't come to the top of the pile right away uh and the treatment program that they wanted him to enter didn't have vacancy uh so in the in the the period of time between when he was charged and and uh, uh, or when he was um, placed on probation to the time that the probation agent was actually assigned and they started to to actively monitor him, uh, he had gone on medications. He had gotten a job. He was doing incredibly well. And they got a call from the probation agent saying, um, "There's an opening in this treatment center now. We want you to go." Well, that treatment center didn't allow medications. And so they said, well, you know, he's doing really well. Can he stay within the, you know, he's obviously in a, a treatment setting using medications and it's working. And the the response was, no, you either go to this treatment center or you go to jail. Um, so, I mean, the, that's the kind of thing that we're still running into. Um, whereas in a different state, um, there might not have been anything done. And it could be somebody that, that was, uh, you know, had possession of, anything and maybe walked out of a store carrying a tv and wouldn't be charged so the 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 variations that we're seeing right now are um i guess it's it's maybe a positive in that we're seeing some some change in that all jurisdictions aren't as harsh at this point um but it's it's also frustrating um you know that that uh, um that some people are treated so harshly and and, and others aren't in some ways i think that that now that we are seeing some changes, those that ended up with with felonies for very minor drug possession, it's almost making it more difficult for them because the general population is saying, "Well, you know, things have loosened up with with uh, um, with uh, the the uh, possession and and uh, drug charges." So therefore, if you have a felony, you must be a really bad person, uh, and you know that can can well mess up everything in life, from housing to career to you know pretty much everything that you're trying to do in life. Um we have seen some movement in different states uh, as far as expungement of of those old criminal records. Um but a lot of the expungement that is coming through uh is only allowed for someone who has one felony. Well, the nature of addiction if somebody hasn't gotten any help, they very well may have more than one felony. Now each felony might be for something really really minor um but and i and i don't want to when i'm saying minor i mean any any use of of you know some of the the uh, you know meth or heroin or any of those drugs is is serious but it's minor compared to a lot of other crimes and and so when we when we look at at whether that should impact somebody's life for the rest of their life, either even when they turn their lives around, um, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But uh, a lot of people can't use those expungement statutes um, because they have more than than one felony, um, and a lot of states still won't allow expungement um, if you know if you're if you're over twenty one when you're convicted, or you know, there's all kinds of of uh, requirements. So there's a lot of people out there who have. You know, um drug convictions that will live for m- live with that for the rest of their lives unless we see a lot of change
0: well now is it different the states have their own rules for drugs and then there's the federal sentencing guidelines and does the DA have the option when somebody is come you know is pulled in and they say, well we want to be the ones to prosecute or they'll give it to the feds and then there's a, a different track that the person is on. Is there that difference?
1: Correct. Yes. So when when there's a charge made, uh the prosecutor has the discretion. Most drug charges are are filed through the state. Uh and uh, and, and that may be because well, some of the states are are uh, more harsh than uh, than the federal. Um, so it, it, the the amount of discretion given to the prosecutors is astounding. um and that was the other area that i had the advantage of being able to kind of get behind those closed doors and and know a little bit more about what was going on. but typically what will happen is in order to get a plea agreement and about 97 percent of criminal cases now are 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 uh, settled with a uh, plea agreement so the the idea that you're going to have a jury of your peers i mean that's pretty much out the window because if someone is charged the prosecutor can look at all kinds of different things to write into that complaint there may or may not be enough proof to actually get a conviction but it is frightening to look at what could happen i mean if all of those counts were uh were convicted somebody could be behind bars for you know years so most people don't have the courage to take that uh to uh to trial so the vast majority are are um, settled by um by a plea bargain um but that is completely up to the prosecutor it's behind closed doors you don't see anything now the judge could look at that and say well i'm not going to accept that plea agreement but very 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 few judges are going to do that because they they the whole system would implode if the prosecutors actually had to deal with all of these cases now that to me that tells me maybe we shouldn't be making these these uh drug possession arrests go after the the criminals that are actually harming people um and free up some time so that that people can actually have due process um but um, but that's not what we're seeing unfortunately there's a lot of federal grants uh there's civil forfeiture law that there's a lot of reasons that uh that police departments um, have incentives to go after the drug possession cases rather than the you know the the bigger criminal cases um, because it's it's good for the budgets
0: well, don't, when they have these uh, seizures of property and forfeiture, and it's hard for me to imagine when they gather all these drugs that all of the drugs actually make it to some giant vault where they sit there and rot. Uh, well, and a
1: lot of times it's not the drugs that they're actually taking. It might be the home of a parent based on an allegation that there was a drug um in the front yard or a drug deal done and it's only an allegation so for civil for civil forfeiture you don't have to even be charged criminally there just has to be a suspicion that a crime was committed they Take the property and the burden of proof is on, in my example, on that parent to prove that there wasn't criminal activity. And because the charge with civil forfeiture is against the asset, not an individual, you're not even um, open to, to having a, um, um, a right to counsel. You know, so public defenders don't count, uh, you know, you don't have a right to counsel. So if they've taken your property and you can't afford a lawyer, you're you're out of luck. It's, it's, uh, it's astounding. There well, is- are any
0: politicians trying to change that? I mean, I find civil forfeiture laws appalling. It's one thing to take things after a person is convicted. Obviously, they don't mm-hmm. deserve the fruits of their ill-gotten gains. But mm-hmm. when they aren't even convicted... Arnie it doesn't make any sense it, it talk about tyranny there it is.
1: Well, it was it was originally sold on the idea of well we're going to go after the drug kingpins and take, you know, their ill-gotten gains which, you know, that's if if I'm uh, if I'm sitting in the uh uh the legislature that, you know, that sounds good, let's let's do that, but that's not the way that it's been applied. Um we are seeing a lot of movement. Uh and again, I mean, I'm still seeing some horrendous examples of of uh of the impact of of uh, civil forfeiture. So it's it's still very much there. Um but on a state by state basis. Uh, there are a lot of states now that, that are um, either not applying it at all uh, or are mandating that there actually has to be a charge or a conviction. Um, so we're seeing movement in the right direction. But you know, in the meantime, uh, you know, we're we're having a lot of, of uh um a lot of victims and it's not always um even the the drug user I, I would consider them a victim as well but um but the families and and uh i mean it could be someone who has nothing to do with drugs at all they're driving uh um to buy a car in cash and they have you know twelve thousand dollars um that's enough to to uh, get them pulled over and, and have their their assets seized um you know it's, it's why people have to be very careful about um transferring um um too much money between bank accounts um and again in theory all of this sounds great you know let's track cash and and uh stop the drugs but number one it doesn't work and number two there it really harms the uh um, the general population
0: i remember once this was years ago when people were uh shuttling marijuana you know back and forth across the country normal looking people and. I a friend of mine was having kind of a crisis and quite quickly I got a plane ticket and I just I had some cash and so I decided to use the cash on the plane ticket. I was given the hairy eyeball
1: that is
0: <laughs> just like what are you doing you're buying this plane ticket in cash. I was waiting to be strip searched but fortunately I got through. But, it, you know, it was the days of the movie Midnight Express, and you know, everybody <laughs> was worried that everybody was carrying drugs. And little did they know, I am such a scaredy cat that, that would, I'd be the last person to do
1: it. <laughs> well, I think part of the challenge that we have with the with the war on drugs is that we're all suspects. And so we've we've and that's made it much more difficult for law enforcement um, because a large percentage of the population is scared to death of police. So even when they're really needed, they're not called. Um, And you know, I think we're seeing that over the last few years, in particular. That um, I mean, that would be a really really tough job. Um, And I am not anti-law enforcement in in any way, but the way that the law is written, that they're you know, that they're supposed to uphold makes life very very difficult um it's been interesting looking at what's happened in portugal where they've de- decriminalized all drugs and number one drug use did not go uh up uh and it went down in um in youth um because it was and we've seen some of that uh with with legalization of cannabis in the united states too it's it's um you know the drug dealer on the corner isn't checking ID. You know, so it's uh, it's actually more difficult for for youth to get the drugs. But in in Portugal, um, there was a, a a distinct change in the general population and their relationship with law enforcement, including helping them to solve violent crime because they were no longer afraid that uh, an, an an officer was going to. Um, you know, find something or think they found something, uh, and and, uh, and and you know, threaten uh, criminal sanctions for for the general population. So it's you know, it's kind of one of those. It's gotten to the point where there are so many criminal laws, and particularly when we're when a law is based on what you possess, not that you harmed somebody. Um, so it's it's almost like. You can, okay, look at the person and find the crime, because uh, there, there's a book called uh, Three Felonies a Day, and uh, it, you know, if, if if we look at the criminal code, every one of us, if somebody wanted to go after us, would be a felon. And that's pretty scary.
0: Whoa. It, the thing that just bothers me so much is people talk and talk and and about doing something. Nobody seems to do anything. It seems politicians are stuck That if they say we want to do something, stop the war on drugs, that they'll be thought of as a pro-crime politician. And clearly that's not the case. You know, like you mentioned, we want the police to be going after the true kingpins, the people that are hurting people, people who are shooting people up at parties and the gangs and people raping people, not people sitting in the square, you know, Civic Center Square in San Francisco selling drugs right in front of undercover officers. I remember when I was on the parole board in San Francisco that uh, there is a fellow who had sold drugs, the undercover cover officer arrests him right there on the spot, you know, pulls him in. Okay, you just sold these drugs. His buddy who was standing right there sits there and sells drugs to somebody else. I mean, their (laughs) brains are totally fried and uh, these people need help and the police need to be out there uh, solving robberies and and all these things that they've been pulled away from.
1: Well, and unfortunately, a lot of the uh, um, the the ways that we're dealing with with the uh, the minor uh, drug possession uh, cases has made a whole generation lose respect for law enforcement. Uh, and when we're arresting people you know, who are 18, 20, 21 uh, for something very minor, throwing them in jail, um, the chances that they're going to be that criminal down the road. Uh, increases because we've just t- taken away some of their opportunities. If they end up with a criminal record, if they end up on probation, where um, they uh, their their freedom is is really minimized, um, I, you know the, the chances are, are just much greater that that they are going to um, to end up going down the road of crime rather than um, you know the, the, uh, better options.
0: Well, that's right. Well, after the break, we're going to talk about some real solutions and not be like the politician whose I look at it, they just flap their gums and aren't really, some of them are good, but (laughs) I don't have too much respect for the most of them who only say things when it's election time and then sit on their butts the rest of the time. So we'll talk about some solutions after the break. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. As you know, we are always a beat ahead. You can listen to us anytime. It's recorded. You hear the live show at 5 p.m. with an encore at 10 p.m. and on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. But then the next day, 20, after 24 hours, it goes to podcast, where you can listen on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeart. So make it easy. Bookmark AmericaOutlab.com forward slash pulse. One of the fun things about the show is that it's a different doctor every day. Mondays, it's with me, Marilyn Singleton. Tuesdays, we have concerned doctors, Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Wednesdays with Dr. Peter Lukulik. Thursdays with Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. And Fridays with epidemiologist Dr. Harvey Reich. And remember, we have also have nurses out loud. And they're Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. I'm sorry, 10 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 p.m. So we've got a lot of medical stuff out there for you. Lots of interesting topics. So please listen to all the shows.
1: It was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us. We can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all.
0: out loud. Okay, in our last section, as I really do like to do, I don't like to only complain. We like to come up with solutions and look at what is wrong with just the premise with drug policy. And one of the premises we've already discussed is it's not really a choice. It's a health issue. And I think most people are beginning to believe that now. And yes, we want to minimize addiction and overdose. And so some of these policies we currently have don't do that. So let's get into some overall solutions. So you briefly mentioned Portugal. And, I, and it's my fault did they legalize or decriminalize and please tell us the difference and would what they've done work here
1: portugal actually decriminalized and the i I believe that the reason that they decriminalized is that the united states was a proponent of u.n treaties that basically uh, exported our punitive drug policy across the world and part of those treaties makes it um it would be a breach of the treaty to legalize um drugs so we do have uh, various countries that have decriminalized um the UN wasn't um happy about some of that there have been letters back and forth but um but the, the so that's why we've had more of a um a trend toward decriminalization rather than legalization the problem is that decriminalization decriminalization does solve the problem of the person who is using the drug is no longer a criminal, so they they are more apt to step up and get help. They're um, you know they're not going to to uh, end up behind bars. All of those kinds of things. The challenge is that it's still illegal to sell the the uh, substance. So. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense to decriminalize something, but still make it illegal to provide that substance because that's still on, uh, in, in in our context, when we're worried about the cartels on uh, the cartels would much rather have us decriminalize than legalize because we still, if we decriminalize, we still need providers. If we legalize, then we're treating on uh, the, the controlled substances that we now have uh, the same as we we treat other um, medications, um, alcohol, uh, we can have a licensed, regulated, clean supply, uh, and we can have rules uh, about that as far as what age and who can distribute and you know inspections and all of those kinds of things. Whereas with decriminalization. Uh, you know, it, it, it we we still have the the illegal suppliers, and so we still have the tainted drugs on the street, and and all of those kinds of things. Now, the the trend in the U.S. Um, with the uh, with the changes that we've seen in cannabis, that has been legalization, and the way that that gets around those UN treaties is that the treaty says, well, you 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 have to live by your constitution, and our constitution says states have individual rights that the federal government can't control to a certain extent. And so that's how they've they've gone uh, below the radar on that. And I think that's one of the reasons that we've got their slow walking, legalizing uh, cannabis on the federal level, which would make a whole lot of sense. I mean, we've got uh, you know cannabis uh uh um th- th- that whole industry has to deal in cash and you know there's a lot of, of issues with that um but that's that's the essence of the um of the problem is the u.n treaties need to be either updated or or disbanded uh, and the u.s would would uh um could be a leader in that um it's been pretty clear from statements with un leadership that if the united states was um was open to that they would be the, the un would be very open to uh to moving past those treaties
0: well what do you think has happened with cannabis isn't it? it's uh almost all the states have medical cannabis legal and then many what 10 11 have recreational cannabis legal. Sure. Have you seen any difference in those states versus other states where it's still being punished?
1: Well, so there's there's some ridiculous results um and even in the even in the states where it's um it's been um legalized either recreationally or, or medically um depending on the tax structure on um, the pricing varies a lot so an example of that uh, minnesota on um, had uh, medical they've just passed recreational michigan has medical and recreational wisconsin has neither but because of the tax structure michigan is much cheaper than even for for medical patients is much much less expensive than it is to to buy in minnesota but if someone drives from minnesota to michigan to save money and they're picked up in wisconsin on the way back they could end up in prison <laughs> so oh I mean, my the, uh, you know, the, the 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 results of a lot of the rules that we see right now are laughable if they weren't so you know, so destructive. Um, but it, but yes, we we have um, seen a and and it, and it even surprised me the the speed with which this has changed. I think there's a message here. Um, number one, the world didn't fall apart when when it was legalized, and to me, medical and recreational aren't a whole lot different because there's a lot of medical users that don't want to list themselves as a drug user in with the state so they um, you know so they're not using medical Um, and in the early days anybody who walked down Venice Beach when when uh, California had medical um, you'd see the big signs the doctor is in Um, you know so it was it was just kind of a hoop to jump through anyway so to me it makes more sense just to you know, to to not have to go through that. Um, But, you know, it would be nice if we could get to, to the point where the federal government would legalize because right now we have people who are taking opioids because that's covered by insurance. But because on the federal level, cannabis is not legal, it's more expensive for them because they would have to pay for the cannabis out of their pocket, but the opioids their insurance will cover. So there are all kinds of ways that we're incentivizing using harder drugs than than the um than the you know the, the less harsh drugs. So um, you know, again, best laid well, maybe <laughs> best uh, uh, laid plans. Um but uh cascade effects are, are are far, far different. Um so there's a lot of things that we can can do as far as as improving the situation part of the reason that i I wrote the book was to give citations on everything that we've been talking about because a lot of people say "Ah, it can't be that bad or that couldn't have really happened or that statute couldn't really say that but the book does cover all of those citations so that way people have the the basis for all of that but i also go through steps in my mind, we would be better off legalizing and being able to have clean supply um, and hopefully not taxing so heavily that the black market would still be have a strong foothold. But that would be the fastest and easiest way to minimize the overdose rates, minimize the addiction rates, because people would feel comfortable with being able to step up and ask for help. Uh, and it would also um, go a long way to taking care of the cartels, um, because right now the drug war is the best thing they have going for them, um, because they they uh, um, they're the suppliers. And we wonder why fentanyl is is so prevalent right now. Well, if you if you if you sneak into a ball game and you're going to take alcohol, you don't take a case of beer. You take you take. Um, um, concentrated alcohol in a small case so that you can sneak it in well, that's essentially what's happening with fentanyl if they have to smuggle it through the border they're going to concentrate as much as they can in a small uh, amount and so naturally it 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 uh, it gets more potent and and more deadly Um, So, Leo, as an
0: an anesthesiologist, it just, there were two things Michael Jackson with propofol, which was one of the best things that happened to anesthesia, and Mm -hmm. this fentanyl problem. I remember when I was a resident, fentanyl had only been out about a year, and it was the best thing since sliced bread and anesthesia. Short acting, very powerful. And uh, that, as you point out, you can have a small amount. I mean, a tip of a pencil is enough to have you OD The in the formulations they have now. And it's given it a bad name. Patients are afraid oh, am I going to get fentanyl? You know, and it's like, no, it's different when you have an <laughs> anesthesiologist giving it to you.
1: Well and, and and that that would be we would get closer to that if people weren't so afraid to go to any I, I, you just don't have access to um, uh, to the substances that are needed, and sometimes those substances are needed for medical reasons, and other times they're needed until someone can move their life forward and, and get some help. Um, Dr. Carl Hart um, has written several books, and and I, I love the point that he made that drugs aren't bad; it's just there are different uses, and uh, you know it depends on on uh, the uses and. Uh, someone's history and a lot of times uh, addiction really comes from trauma and isolation um, there's no no question about that with all of the studies at this point so the way that we're that we're trying to deal with the addiction crisis is really throwing gasoline on the fire because we're doing exactly we're adding isolation we're adding trauma and that's exactly what creates creates addiction so it's really not that the drugs are bad it's it's uh, you know that that uh, it's it's the way that that we use them
0: well, that author, Jonathan Hari, he wrote a really good book called Chasing the, the Scream. Chasing the Scream, yeah. Chasing and and book. he talks about the lost connection and that that's what people need. And, and on this show, we've talked about loneliness. I think a few weeks ago, I had a whole show on loneliness that... This is something that is getting bigger and bigger in our society, and it's no wonder people are using drugs, that people need to feel good. We weren't meant to feel bad all the time, and COVID did us in. As far yeah. as bringing out the worst in that loss of connection, I mean, it sounds so dorky, but that Barbra Streisand song, "People Who Need People Are the Luckiest <laughs> People in the World," but we need people. That's what they absolutely do And you, you think, you think about what we do
1: to um, people on probation. Um, you know, they can't move, so depending on on where they happen to be, they can't move closer to family without risking. you know, it, it's 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 it can be a nightmare risking uh, uh, moving where your probation is and and not knowing what the rules will be in the next place. Um, You can't spend time with anybody that has any alcohol, even if your problem wasn't alcohol, but if there's alcohol at an establishment, you can't be anywhere near that. Well, in a a lot of our culture that pretty much wipes out your, your social contacts Um, on, you know, and you have to get permission for anything that you do. So, you know, again, the trauma and isolation. Um, When you mentioned COVID, I, I find it really interesting as I watch the COVID policies. It was like deja vu. And I, I wish that that the people that were were considering COVID policies would have looked at what has happened with the drug war because it's it's almost a repeat. You know, we had a lack of clear-cut goals. We were panicking, needing to do something. We were beginning with political agendas and scared politicians, um, and and making decisions based on that. Um, We we were depending on experts, but without substantiation. Um, Came up with a one-size-fits-all policy that was very punitive and stigmatizing. I mean, it was like you know the 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 war on drugs hasn't worked for after fifty years, but we really took the we, we took the the exact um, format that we've used, and we applied it to COVID, and we're seeing that maybe those weren't such smart choices at this point.
0: Absolutely, and COVID—it's—it's it's interesting to me. You know, I think we can have signs that say "I hate COVID," but mm-hmm. the good thing that came out of COVID is it pointed out a lot of flaws in our system when the government tries to take over something so big and make a one-size-fits-all policy. There's a reason we're 50 states. I look at the difference between New Jersey and Montana. How can the same thing work for both states? It can't. And But that's what they tried to do. And this whole nanny stating just Mm -hmm. seems to get worse and worse and worse. And the poor people who are victims of the so-called war on drugs, it's it's everybody. And the book you wrote and How I Found You was outstanding. It's called War on Us. How the War on Drugs and Myths About Addiction Have Created a War on All of Us. I really recommend it highly. And in the write-up for the show, I will have a link to the website and the book. And um, Colleen gives courses, an online course, A Parent's Guide to Addiction, Moving Past Punishment. These are things that uh, it's sort of, you can quietly read it, just know that if you have this sort of problem in your realm, in your sphere, you really aren't alone and it can happen to anybody. It, it's not just bad people. Well, and one
1: of the things that became very clear to me as I researched the book and and uh, talked to more and more people, you don't have to have anyone even near you using illegal drugs. But if you need pain medication if you if you, you you may not be able to get it because of of uh because of the war on drugs um if you need medical care you might not be able to get it because our medical system is is uh, undergoing some real issues and a lot of that is because of the the ignored um, problems caused by addiction and the cascade effect on on other medical issues and glutting the the, uh, the medical system so that that, um, you know, we don't have medical care available um, the way that we we would if we really dealt with this issue the way that, that we should. And you know just looking at it as a, as a health issue and, and treating people who have substance use disorder the same way we would treat someone who has diabetes.
0: Well, absolutely. My goodness, we have only scratched the surface of this topic, but all we have is an hour. And mm-hmm. I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Now, I will have the link to the book, but just for the listeners, can you give the website where people can go? Uh, the website is waronus.com. Okay, that's easy. So you before I let you go, you have to promise you'll come back.
1: I'd love to, Marilyn. It was
0: great talking to you. Okay. Now, I would like to thank everyone again for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. We've got a couple things. You remember our feature. We've got the emails. If you have a question, you can send it in. Just email. First names are fine. And we'll get back to you with the answer. And now... We have AmericaOutloud.shop, and you can go there, get some of our medications, HealthyCell, CofixRx, learn about the wellness company, and we have a bookstore and our discount code Outloud, that makes it easy, you can get a big discount on any of the products that you get there. It's very exciting, and um, people are loving this new treat that comes with the website. And as always, whether you agree or have other opinions, please share the show. Thanks again for listening. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.